And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Friday morning after what was the first mega night of the NBA playoffs with three high-pressure elimination games, all of which, sadly for us neutral fans, or we neutral fans as my dad would correct my grammar, ended with actual eliminations. The Jazz are out facing an offseason of major, major questions and change. The Pelicans are out. And the Philadelphia 76ers, after so much drama, after an epic meltdown slash press conference by Doc Rivers, after threatening, threatening big-time weekend drama in Philadelphia, dispatched the Toronto Raptors in an absolute blowout. So we only have one hope left for a Game 7 in the first round, and it is the wild and woolly Minnesota Timberwolves and Memphis Grizzlies. And happen to be calling that game tonight, someone who's going to help us Go through all these series and preview the next round. The one and only Jeff Van Gundy live from Minneapolis. How are you? Doing well. Enjoying my stay in sunny Minneapolis. So you, I think, promote the image of, a, of an old school curmudgeon. Is that fair? I try not to. Okay. Maybe sometimes you come across as an old school curmudgeon. I will just right. editorialize, okay? So I, I could see you saying things like, well, two points is just two points. Doesn't matter how they come. So I will ask you this. Did you did you smile, laugh, jump out of your seat, something when John ja Morant detonated on Malik Beasley at the end of the third quarter in game in game five in Memphis? Please tell me you had some sort of human reaction to this. Yeah, I mean, it was a great play. Absolutely. Um, you know, I was able to coach like Steve Francis. So I saw plays like that. I know no one wants you to go back and ever say another guy did something. But I saw Steve Francis do crazy stuff like athletic like Morant did the other night. And it was a heck of a play. Um, and But he's done a lot of those. But the best part of it was the call of the jawbreaker. That oh. to me was... I laughed out loud at Ian's call because it was so appropriate. I wonder, I haven't talked to Ian since that game. I, I wonder if that was rattling around in his brain, just in the recesses of it, just in case, or he improved it. No, he had he had that one stored up from before the games, before the series started. He was just waiting, I'm sure, for the right time to unleash it. I got to tell you, though, it, it's cool. It, it lives forever. That call lives forever now. It's, it's a little figure of speech, but you only get one shot at those calls. And Breen has talked about a couple big ones that he regrets. I mean, he's the best to ever do it. And it now lives forever, jawbreaker. Oh, it was so good. So good. Uh, are, are you – this series – this has been one of the drunkest first-round series of all time. Like, every game – features forget like x's and o's and occasional mistakes and breakdowns and bad shot selection by minnesota down the stretch of game five that happens every game features like at least one 45 second segment and probably like three where it's turnover run out turnover run out guys fall over another turnover you're like what is, what is, when did the basketball game start and the keystone cops came in and started playing are you are you i think I think you guys would be okay to actually be drinking during the game. That's how drunk the series has been. Are you looking forward to game six? Well, I think you, you make a very good point. Uh, it hasn't been really well played. It's been hard fought, 
but not well played. John Chaney used to have uh, a saying that I really believe in. You can't play emotionally drunk. And I think both teams at times have been emotionally drunk. And that has led to, in some cases, catastrophic mistakes. Uh, and, you know, Minnesota, we were talking before, they have led 168 minutes of the 240 played. And 40 of 44 of those that they didn't lead were in game two. So they have basically been ahead in the other four games, the entire game. And yet they just haven't been able to finish it off. And I think most people watching the series think this should be the elimination game for them tonight versus the other way around. And that's other than Pat Bev, this is a pretty young team. And, you know, they've had some big defensive breakdowns and big moments They've, I, I thought their offense just ground to a halt late in game five, and they took a lot of bad shots. But I'll tell you this, Coach. I, I wonder, did you ever have – set aside Jordan, who nobody wants to poke the bear with Jordan. Did you ever have a series or a player who, like, would unleash taunts early in the game against other star players or, or shush the crowd too early? And you would just be like, can you just, just leave it? Can you just leave it be? We don't want to anger this team. Because I, I love – so Pat Bev is going to hit you with the too little taunt. He's going to hit Ja with the too little taunt every single time. Even if he misses the shot, I feel like he's going to hit him with the too little. Cat is getting a lot of stuff for hushing the crowd early in the fourth quarter after a three. And, of course, they lose. Um, and he looks foolish. I, I want Minnesota to keep leaning all the way into that. I don't care that they lost the game. I don't care that they look a little foolish. I like that this is their spirit. I don't want them to lose their spirit. But did you ever have players who were like, can, can you just, can you not make anyone mad until the game's over and we've won? Uh, not really, but I would just disagree with you on that is spirit. Spirit is the plays that you make, not the taunts that you throw out. I, I don't consider hitting somebody with too small, that's six feet, um, any stroke of brilliance, nor shushing the crowd. Like, the, I, I just think, you know, you get it, you got to get on to the next play and concentrate so you don't make a catastrophic mistake of over exuberance or you get emotionally drunk. I just think, you know, and I don't, you know, Towns and Beverly, the two guys you just, they're not young or inexperienced, you know, that's true. They've been around. So, uh, you know, Anthony Edwards mistake against Morant on the last play was, you know, he's obviously incredibly young, but I, I don't look at it like spirit. I, I look at it as, you know, getting caught up in the emotion of the game and being emotionally drunk where it, they might be better served just to lock in and concentrate on what's next. We're also, and this is the last thing before we move on to real things. We're also just, the the too little taunt has jumped the shark. And the exact moment it jumped the shark was in a late season game between the Wizards and the Lakers when LeBron posted up Ish Smith and scored and hit Ish Smith, who's given up like nine inches and God knows how many pounds, hit Ish Smith with the too little. And it's like, yo, Bron, we know he he's too little. Like you don't you don't have to overemphasize that one. Like what's next? The Shaq on Nate Robinson with the too little taunt. We don't need it anywhere. The too little taunt is over. Okay, we need to we need to we need to put it aside for we need to use it more judiciously. That's all I'm saying. I I couldn't uh, agree more with that. Some uh, things 
need to be banned. And I think this is where Adam Silver comes in. And unless you are the same size or smaller or you're, you weigh less and you move a bigger guy out, you know, you cannot use that taunt anymore. It, it, it evokes immediate suspension. Okay, let's talk about closeout game number one. The Phoenix Suns go into New Orleans. Devin Booker returns, starts the game, but then comes off the bench in the second half. Looks a little tentative. Hits, hits a big three late. Looks, looks okay by his standards. Chris Paul, 14 of 14 from the floor. The Suns as a team for the series shot 59% on long twos. 52% on floater range twos. Just an outrageous two point. It's 75% at the rim just for kicks. I'm looking at it now. Didn't shoot threes well, and it didn't matter. Their offense sustained um, without Booker for a lot of the series. Aiton was outstanding. I thought this was a fantastic series for the no uh, DeAndre Ayton is not the same as JaVale McGee just because they can survive some regular season games without DeAndre Ayton. Just a fantastic series for him. But we just have to start with Chris Paul. I mean, look, it's only a first-round game. And and they just even high-leverage first-round games are not as important as high-leverage second-round games and conference finals games and all that. But I just... I, you won't see a, I mean, he went 14 of 14. It's self-explanatory. The guy controlled the entire game. The Pelicans could never figure out what defense do we want to be in when Jonas Valanciunas is in the game guarding the pick and roll. And Chris Paul tortured him from one step ahead the entire series. I mean, you're watching that game last night. You're a basketball purist. What stood out to you about CP3 or just the Suns reintegrating Booker or, or just how they sort of s- snuck out what was a hard-fought series? Credit to the Pelicans. Yeah. When Booker went out, I thought the Pelicans would win the series. I thought they were better. Um, I thought they had more offensive talent, uh, more depth. And I think it took a great, great performance by Chris Paul uh, to beat what I thought, you know, without Booker was the better roster. So um, I, I give Paul, I mean, first of all, the jump shots he makes, and this is why you 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 have to you have to have a guy like Chris Paul. Forget arguing about mid range or not. You've got to be able to make those shots because defensively, that's what everybody's trying to get you to. And he has the ability, even with his stature and size, to fade and hit. He's got great touch. The ball rolls in for him versus a lot of guy it rolls out. And like you said, against a great player like him, coverages, there are no good coverages because he has the answer to every single question. And I I was just so impressed. And I think because he looks youthful, people forget, like, this guy, what is he, 37? Coach, coach, the Rockets traded – Two first-round picks and two pick swaps to dump Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook like three years ago or something. It's it, it's it's good. That trade gets more and more insane by the day. That's how uh, – now, that trade was a unique circumstance. I think Harden played a huge role in asking and forcing for that trade. But still, there were concerns about his health, his durability. Like, the league was not optimistic that Chris Paul would be doing this. And this is – 
I mean, 14 of 14, it's ridiculous. He's just a great, he's still a great, great player. And you mentioned that trade. Like he went to Oklahoma City and they were within a, a, a hair of beating Houston in the first round with, you know, Dort and Schroeder. And I, I mean, he, I thought he could have been in the MVP discussion that year. And then he goes over to Phoenix last year. They go to the finals. And now they have the number one seed, the best regular season uh, team. And then they're hit with a devastating injury. And, you know, he doesn't have a great game every game in this series. But, man, did he come up huge last night and last couple games. I mean, I'm just it's just it's just impressive. My favorite plays, and if you if people want a window into how smart this dude is, we all know Chris Paul is the point guy. He's too smart for his own good. I mean, I just I can't watch the rip throughs. I just can't watch them. I'm sorry, Chris. Um, third quarter in the middle of the third quarter, back to back possessions. I I texted you this with Chris Paul going at Valanciunas in the pick and roll. Now he's already eaten on several mid range jumpers with Valanciunas dropping. And so Valanciunas, because they just don't know what else to do, Willie Green, who did a fantastic job this season, and they're set up for the future, we'll talk about them in a second, has Valanciunas begin to blitz Chris Paul, trap Chris Paul, because the drop coverage ain't working. He's just eating us alive. Chris reads that right away. He doesn't need, he probably reads it before he, it even happens. He doesn't need one or two possessions to like warm up and figure it out. He's got it. So he sees the blitz, and he has eight and set a screen for him on the left wing. And he lets the blitz come. And he lets Jonas Valanciunas come at him, and then he drives hard at Valanciunas with the only sole goal of getting Valanciunas to backpedal towards the paint. And then Chris Paul calls up Aiton for another screen, same exact location. And the only point of it is, I don't think you can navigate two in a row, big fella, because you're going to moonwalk back into the paint. Then you got to stop and scramble and come back up and get me. And oh, by the way, the guy on me, I don't know if he can navigate two in a row. And the first one, I think the Pelicans got stuck under the pick and JV was way too far back and CP hit a three. He did it again on the very next possession. Poor Jonas Valanciunas yo-yoing back and forth. Can't do it. Easy long two. The guy is just a genius. And the other thing we need to shout out, Mikhail Bridges, games five and six of that series, played 91 out of a possible 96 minutes. 49 points. On 19 of 29 shooting, four blocks in game five, two steals in game six, including one that clinched the game on a runout dunk, basically, where Monty Williams, I don't know if you saw him pumping his fist on the sideline after that Mikhail Bridges runout dunk. That's as emotional as you'll see a coach just sort of cheering. It was an awesome moment. And now they go and face the Mavericks. But but any other uh, any other stuff resonate for you from what, how the Suns kind of pulled this out? Any other players you want to shout out? I love uh, the synergy between, and that's I love that word too because I still don't know what it means. I love the synergy between Aiton and Paul. Aiton is a tremendous screener, and I just don't think he gets the just due for how intelligent he plays alongside Chris Paul. Everything's always, you know, when you read about the Suns, it's all how Chris Paul has made this guy better and you know, this guy better, but like Aiton makes Chris Paul better. And that's what good teams do. And I think going forward, and you mentioned Bridges, I think Crowder has going to have to shoot the ball better. And uh, because he's, he will be the guy 
oftentimes was left open. And I still feel that if Booker can't get back to Booker, like the level that we're accustomed to because of his injury, they're going to have a tough time in the next series. I mean, uh, Dallas is really, really good. No question. Before we move on to that that game in Utah and that series coming up, um, what do you take away from this play-in run and tough first-round series for the Pelicans? What 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 impressions did they leave you with going into next season? Well, I thought they rebuilt their roster exceptionally well. Um, the Valanciunas for Stephen Adams trade home run. Uh, Valanciunas can can beat you in, in many ways. Uh, some his own pick and roll defense, as you mentioned before, but he can beat the other team too. Offensive rebounds. He was dominant. Uh, Offensive rebounding and free throws are the yeah. reasons New Orleans was in the series. Exactly. And he gets to the free throw line and he can spread the floor a little bit. Um, the trade for McCollum and Nance. Um, I, I love Josh Hart. I think he's a very good player, but to get a, a elite offensive talent off the, off the dribble like McCollum, uh, in, incredible uh, job. And then Nance, you know, resurrected himself from this seemingly never-ending string of injuries to showing why he was valued so much a few years ago in the first place and, and played exceptionally well. So those three, like, changes, I, I thought, you know, up their level of talent. And they they got rid of they, – they moved on from guys who were less efficient. And then I think, you know, the Herb Jones draft choice, terrific. Um, I can't be prouder of Trey Murphy. Trey Murphy played at Rice before he went to Virginia and then he was drafted in the first round. And I used to go, I go to Rice games. And that he's able to transform himself from a, a zero star into a first round pick and on the floor making, I think, four of seven threes. I mean, he's an elite shooter. Um so I think they've really done a good job uh, building their roster. And the, the question is coming forward is uh, Williamson, how does he fit? Uh, does it leave the lane too crowded? Uh, does it hurt their and compromise their defense too much? You know, or is it just like so much better for them? I think those, that's going to be a fascinating uh, decision that the Pelicans have to decide on. Well, I can't wait to see if Zion Williamson, after playing basically one season and three seasons, and his agents walk into the extension talks and say, "Give us the max. We want the max." Because I don't, I don't, I think knows you're making a face. No, of course he's getting the max. You, you, you I, I, I'm not entirely convinced that's true. I can oh, see. I'm not saying from them. I'm not saying necessarily from them. Well, first we. This is extension talks first. If they don't lead anywhere, then we get to next summer, a yeah. year from now, and it's restricted free agency, and then he's getting the max. He's getting the max, and and I understand. Like, listen, you can forget because we all have short term memories, right? Last year, offensively, he was. Beyond phenomenal, like beyond phenomenal. Now, defensively, he he's not blessed with the same talent of defensively. And how so much? Those, how much would getting in better shape 
it, like if if he's a if he's a zero on defense and you just want him to be like a seventy, you don't need him to be a hundred. You just need him to be a seventy. Like how much does getting in shape close the gap from zero to seventy? Is it is it a lot that or is it a lot IQ and feel and effort? I don't think. I don't think it's. Uh, it, I'm sure. Like I, I really don't know, but let's just say. You know, conditioning is is important, obviously, uh, defensively. It's hard to – he. I don't know if his body allows him to get in a defensive uh, stance um, and have the same explosive movements defensively as he has offensively. I'm no um, uh, kinesiologist who understands, like – but there, there seems to be a body – like it's different. He's so explosive on offense. Um, defensively, the ability to start, stop, change directions, um, and and get in a defensive stance. Um, you know, I think he's got to work on that. But I think it's going to be like think about what they have to decide. Like, do they want the lane to be just from an offensive standpoint? If he's playing, the ball is going to be in his hands, right? Which means it's going to be out of McCollum's hands more, uh, Ingram's hands more. And who do you take out of the starting lineup? Well, the Val- and the Valanciunas post-ups go bye-bye. Go, go by. And then even though Valanciunas can make a three, it's not like you're going to have the floor open. Now, Jackson Hayes, you can make the case, well, Jackson Hayes doesn't give you spacing either. So it's a logical, easy fit. But you're talking – when Zion comes back, you know, you're going to play him 34 to 36 minutes a game. So they, it's going to be different next year. Um, hopefully he's healthy, you know, and he can get back because, like I said, not, you know, this past year he didn't play. His first year was compromised. Uh, but his second year he was he was dominant. And uh, they have an array of offensive weapons. It's going to be interesting to see how it all comes together for him. Yeah, it's it's three guys who need the ball or have the ball a lot. I don't necessarily see that as a huge problem because McCollum in particular is a good spot-up shooter and you can run, you know, inverted pick and rolls with Zion as the ball handler and those guys screening and all that and you stagger minutes and this and that. I'm fascinated by these extension talks. I would expect this is not my reporting. I would expect the Pelicans to offer some sort of Joel Embiid style deal where it's the max, but with some protection against injury and, and things like that. Um, and and back to your point about Trey Murphy, I I hope the, the Pelicans have a good season next year because I want to believe, and I do believe that playoff experience like this really matters for young players. Like you felt it, you performed on the big stage you felt what an intent – every player will tell you the playoffs are just different. Every possession is much more hotly contested. Everything matters. The adjustments come flying. You know, coaches aren't waiting till halftime to make the big adjustments. They're not waiting till game three to make the big adjustments. And their best lineups were with Trey Murphy in Jackson Hayes' place. He looked like he belonged. Alvarado obviously became sort of one of the breakout NBA nerd stars of the season. Herb Jones is legit defensively, who showed between his transition finishes – Enough open threes, enough catch-and-go drives that he he can survive on offense. And I just think Brandon Ingram, his introduction to the playoffs, finally getting there, 27 points a game, 48% shooting, 41% from three, eight free throws a game, eight free throw attempts a game. 
And I thought starting in at the second half of game four and beyond, but particularly that half, was my favorite Brandon Ingram half of basketball ever because he suddenly just said, I'm not pausing at all. I'm, it's the most decisive I've ever seen him as a catch and goal ball handler, as a first step just blowing by dudes, as a backdoor cutter. And if he can bottle that and, and become that kind of player consistently, he's going to reach a level that the Pelicans have been optimistic he'd be, he'd be able to reach a borderline all-star. Oh, he's already a borderline all-star, but like maybe sniffing all NBA. I was just super impressed with B.I. And I hope they carry it over because like I want to be a believer in this experience really mattered and it's not just, ah, you know, we lost a 1-8 series. Who cares? Well, we'll see. I think the Zion and how that how that works out, but also we can't forget that there was teams in the Western Conference. The Clippers didn't make it. We would think they would be back. The Lakers didn't make it. Uh, you would think they couldn't be worse than they they were this year. And Portland with Lillard uh, coming back, you would think they would be better. So Denver and, and Denver with you know Murray and Porter. So. There's a lot that – and I, I actually think San, San Antonio, depending on when they want to improve, there's going to be a team that made the playoffs this year. I don't know who it is, not make it next year. I mean, I just think that's – and it may be more than one because the Clippers, you have to think, if Leonard and George are healthy, they're in, right? And no so question. It, it's it's not easy um, in the Western Conference. The teams were bunched. There wasn't, like other than Phoenix, no one really told, sort of separated themselves. But just like we've seen in the playoffs, a lot of these games decided by health, um, more so than I remember in the past. Uh, you know, you can't skip steps. And if you're New Orleans or really any team, you can't think there's just going to be a logical progression. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream. Your team. Call 1 800 Direct TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. 
let's talk about one of the teams that may not make the playoffs next year in the Western Conference. The Dallas Mavericks went to Utah and closed out the Jazz in an absolute heartbreaker for Utah. Boyan Bogdanovich missed whew, a, a look we're going to be look, thinking about and talking about for a long time. And Jazz fans are just... Mike Conley with the ball in his hands at the end of a playoff series is just going to have people with Utah Jazz PTSD for years between the Denver bubble shot and the traveling violation last night. Um, the Jazz are out. Uh, Coach, I think this is it for the Jazz. I think it's all in play this summer. This this team has run its course. Mitchell Gobert has run its course. And I think this is sort of a fitting coda for this era in that the previous four playoff eliminations – have been either their offense failed, mostly against Houston in those two series, or their defense failed against Denver and then against the Clippers last year, who went five out against them as the Mavericks did again this year to much success. This year, they failed on both ends of the floor. Their offense was 108 points per 100 possessions. That's bad. Their defense, 115 per 100 possessions. That's bad. I just think it's time. I think everything's on the table. And... I will be very surprised if Rudy Gobert is on the Jazz next season unless unless Donovan Mitchell, who holds a lot of the cards here, not all the cards because they have three years left on his contract, unless Donovan Mitchell is on another team because he asks to be on another team and the Jazz then say, okay, how can we pivot and build around Rudy Gobert to some degree? Uh, I would not be surprised at all if Quinn Snyder is not coaching this team next year. He's a fantastic coach. He'll be coveted around the league if he so chooses. Our Tim McMahon today in his Jazz autopsy reported that Quinn Snyder declined a contract extension at some point in the offseason. Now, he's signed so many contract extensions. I don't even know how many years he has left on his deal. Uh, so Utah is out. Dallas moves on. Um, I'll leave it to you. What struck you about that game? Or, or what do you think when you hear all this talk about Utah's murky future? Well, first of all, the last play was a stroke of brilliance. How open he got, Bogdanovich. I mean, it like it was it was brilliant, and there was more movement in that play than you see in most late game plays. So I, I thought that was like outstanding. Um, when I look back, look at Utah. They're going to rue those first three games of the series when Doncic was out. That should have been at the very least. 2-1, most likely should have been 3-0. And they just weren't ready to take advantage of, you know, the gift of bad health for Dallas. And, and then they got a miracle in game four to get it back, you know, like to 2-2. So they had to feel so good and then didn't play well. And F and that talk, Rudy Gobert said. F that talk about us. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's something with their roster that needs to take shape. I do think teams who are – I would say this. The more I watch the NBA, the less offense is being run, uh, less and less. And it, it comes down – so much now is, um, you know, like Dallas – they they run a high pick and roll, they run a stack pick and roll, and then they isolate. 
And that's what they do. That's right? the whole and offense. They, this this Mavs Sun series is going to be one stack or Spain pick and roll after another by both yeah, teams. I mean, so it's it's like, and so my my point is, it's like, and then it comes down to the volatility of the three point shot. And I think Utah was nine for thirty five last night, or something like that. And you know they didn't shoot it well at all. The entire series. They couldn't and get so, them. That was the bigger deal is that a team that averages 40-something threes a game could not get enough threes up against the Mavericks, and they just didn't have enough. I mean, between Conley suddenly aging 10 years and Mitchell shooting poorly and making some bad decisions. And you can't – look, Rudy Gobert took like five and a half shots a game in this series. Like they just couldn't – they don't – they clearly do not have confidence to throw him the ball – even the layup he made at the end of the game last night with like a minute and a half left, they had him wide open for a lob and they didn't throw the lob. They slipped it to him and they almost turned it over. They just didn't have enough enough offense and and it, when the threes went away. But yeah, I, I, to me, the one they'll ruin, I've talked about this before. I talked about it at the time. I felt it at the time. That Clippers series immediately in the moment last year with Kawhi injured, felt like an all-time missed opportunity and an all-time flashbulb moment for the franchise. And really, if this era ended, maybe it literally ends this offseason, but to me it ended with that series. Well, it was, it was a gut punch. But I would say if you've been in, if you've had sustained success like Utah, you're going to take gut punches. And that one was, I think this one was as bad because if you look at it, because they didn't know Booker was going to be able to, you know, to come back. If they would have been up 2-1, 3-0, and Booker, like, is hobbled, I mean, then they're having two injury situations that lead him into the Western Conference Finals, maybe. And, and they're healthy this year. Last year, yeah. they and their fans leaned on, well, Conley missed games and Donovan was hurt. Yeah, okay, we'll just forget that kind of Kawhi, by far the best player in the series, he was hurt. But this year, they're healthy for the most part. I mean, Conley's aging it fast, but they're healthy. Exactly. So, you know, there's a lot of gut punches. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Nets and, and Celtics. They met two straight years last year. Uh, Boston was unhealthy. Um and the Nets were healthier, and this year the script flipped. And so, yeah, I, I just think Utah, sometimes things run its course. I'm not sure, though, that this one has. I, I think you have to be – I am. The, I, I can't watch it anymore, Coach. I can't watch it. I can't watch the, them go f get five-outed, and then somebody drives, and then for like two quarters – they nail their help in rotations, and then in the and then the third quarter comes around like it did last night, and all of a sudden there's leakage everywhere. And I can't I can't watch it anymore. I need I just as I just it's like when your favorite TV show gets stale, yeah, that, and I want a new character or a new plot to a new romance. Like let's let's experiment with Rachel and Joey just for just like just just get something new. Yes, but that's why if you're Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck and uh, the owner Ryan Smith. That's why you have to resist the immediate pull to say, blow it up, because blowing it up or moving on doesn't necessarily make it better. And I think, listen, I, you know, I think what Dallas did, what was interesting to me was they went all in on Doncic with the trade of Porzingis. And everybody was hand-wringing about, 
well, we're not involving Porzingis enough. Should we get him in the post? Should we do this? Should we do that? He's just standing in the corner, spotting up. And then with that trade, what happened is all the hand wringing went away. And all right, we're giving the ball to Doncic. He is going to run 9,000 pick and rolls. Then he's going to isolate. We're going to play slow. We're going to, you know, we're going to surround him with other ball handlers and shooting, but it's all about him. And I think, you know, like Minnesota, I mean, in, in Utah, there's the same hand ringing. Rudy Gobert, what to do, how to do it. Do they pass him the ball enough? Like, I, I think one of the things that they need there is clarity. They need clarity going forward um, from Mitchell about his want to, to be there or does he want to, you know, force a trade, uh, you know, go bear. Are they better served trying to, you know, do a type of Dinwiddie Porzingis type of thing where they, they may give up some defensively and size wise, but maybe they're more equipped to guard, I, you know, in a playoff situation. I don't know, but I think you do have to be very careful when you're talking about trading away such a defensive force in Gobert, particularly you don't have a lot of defense in this starting lineup. You know, Royce O'Neal's, you know, good, but you've got a lot of size issues. You've got a lot of lateral quickness issues, and he covers up a lot of mistakes. If, if Rudy Gobert is made available via trade, and then we'll move on. Tim McMahon and I have already gone over this, but just to remind people, I would expect some of the following names to come up. Dallas, Atlanta, Charlotte, and Toronto. A few people around the league have pitched the Nets to me. Um, with with That would require Simmons probably, certainly, being traded to Utah. There's like 14 reasons why I wouldn't expect that to happen, including that Ben Simmons hasn't played basketball in a year. But also, if you remember, Coach, um, Kevin Durant gave an interview on J.J. Reddick's podcast a couple years ago about how there's a big disconnect between the media and the players on all defense and who's a great defender. And he was talking about Drew Holiday, and then he said, you know, I see defensive players of the year get targeted in the playoffs because they can't guard in pick and rolls and space and all that. And I, I think it was clear who he was talking about. So I'll just leave it at that. What do you think about Mavs Suns? What should, we haven't had time to prep for this one. I haven't had any time to prep for this one because it wasn't set till 1 in the morning Eastern time. What's your initial read on Mavs Suns? Booker's health. And uh, and bridges uh, the obviously will be guarding Doncic and how they're going to play the pick and roll with Aiton and and conversely you know pick and roll defense for the Mavericks and I think Aiton if they switch he's going to be important because they do a, a much better job than most teams in exploiting switching in the post and finding Aiton against smaller players. And because Chris Paul is, uh, you know, so good at dissecting defense. So I think it's going to be a, a terrific series. Uh, I think, you know, Dinwiddie's going to have to play well like he did last night. He hadn't had a good series. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I, I say it, it still all comes down to, Booker's health. If Booker's healthy, I think they have a slight advantage. If not, I like Dallas. If Booker is like 80% of Booker, 
I feel pretty comfortable with Phoenix in this series, and we can talk about why. And I and I've said before, I want no part of Luka Doncic in the seven game series. That guy is an is a monster. Um, it is ironic, though, Coach, that for the second straight year, the Suns are now facing a team who beat the Jazz by going five out, and it's it, it spots last year it was the Clippers and. The difference between the Suns and the Jazz against the Clippers was, as you just said, Aiton and his ability to catch against switches, offensive rebound, his hands. And I, th- I think that looms large here, too. If Dallas tries to go five out, it, it doesn't seem as if that would be quite as central an ingredient in this series, in part because of Paul and Booker exploiting switches, but also because Aiton is just a much better offensive player with the ball in his hands than Rudy Gobert. Um, and, and also, you know, the level of perimeter defense that Dallas is about to face from Paul, Booker, Bridges, Crowder, Cam Johnson, maybe Torrey Craig gets back in the rotation, is, to put it politely, a little better than the level of perimeter defense they just tore apart against uh, the Jazz. Well, it's true, and I think Aiton uh, has has great feet, too. So he can, you know, he can do defensively a lot of different things. Um, now he's just a he's just a really good player, you know. Irregardless of does he get paid, whatever he gets paid, you know, in extension talks, he's he's a really good player, and he's with a really good team for him. Uh, and I agree. That's why Phoenix, to me, uh, has been dominant. They've been great offensively and defensively. I do believe, though, Doncic is the hardest matchup in the NBA. I just, I literally, literally, I love it. There's no good. If, if I had to say like one possession, like to not just go get a shot, but just like, like there's no good way to play him. You play drop. He, that's a terrible coverage. You try to switch. Most fives don't have a, have a great chance. And again, that doesn't mean I think they're aesthetically as pleasing as a lot of teams because he holds the ball and he's doing his thing. But I just think his combination of size and skill uh, and the ability to make every pass, I, I just think the guy is just an absolutely brilliant, brilliant offensive talent. And because he hasn't advanced in the playoffs yet until, you know, that somehow – his brilliance on offense gets overshadowed by lack of playoff success. I just think I never, I, I never understood that. I mean, not that it's been going on for a long time, but you did hear people say, "Well, why hasn't he advanced out of the first round?" And you're like, "It's hard to win. It's well, hard to win." Because because they played a team that was maybe the favorite to win the championship in both of the seasons, and he averaged like a thousand points and a thousand assists. And I will tell you this: if you just say the name. Luka Doncic, just say, even just say Luka, Luka, Luka to any Clippers coach, they begin shuddering like they don't want, and they don't want to see that dude ever again. Just ask anybody with the Clippers how good that guy is. Um, I will say, uh, Utah hunted him both in the regular season and in this series on defense as mercilessly as any team in the NBA, and I thought that's where the hamstring issues or whatever it is showed up a little bit. Offensively, he was great. Defensively, he was a matador last night, and I think Phoenix is going to see that and triple down on that. I'm not sure they can take advantage of him in the same in the same ways. Um, you know, 
it's not like they have a ton of blow by speed. Um, I, I think Doncic, I actually think he's made a terrific improvement at that end. And I don't know if it's more. The rim protection factor. last night, the, when he blocked Rudy Gobert or stripped him or Rudy Gobert lost the ball, whatever happened on that play, that, that felt like that was the moment. That was the moment the Jazz ended. Just like you could pinpoint the moment where Lisa Simpson broke Ralph Wiggum's heart on the Simpsons. You probably don't know that reference. That was the moment I can pinpoint like the end of the Jazz. Yeah. I have no idea about the Simpsons. But um, I would say that when you're a great player, you can only be a great player if you commit to defense because you know that is exactly what it takes coupled with your great offensive skill to move on and have success. And so I think Doncic's commitment to defense um, has improved uh, yearly with the Mavericks. And I think he knows sometimes they have some roster issues that are going to come up. Sometimes like you don't know when your best chance is we, this could be their best chance. And so I think his commitment level is high. Um, I think he's got guys playing well around him. Finney Smith, uh, Brunson has been absolutely outstanding. Oh. Oh. I think the Dinwiddie, like he's a, a wild card. Like to me, he gives them size and ability to go off the dribble. If he's, if he's playing well, you know, Kleba, you know, um, I think is better defensively than people realize. So, yeah, I mean, listen, if, if he's, Bad defensively in any series, like really bad, they, they have no chance. But you could say that about any great player. Um, if their level of commitment isn't high on that end, you're not going to win championship. I'm glad you just said you never know when it's your best chance because I just don't think that that's been hammered home enough and people have really internalized enough. Now, I also think front offices can overreact to that and leap in too far into the short term and expend too much future capital to do it. It's a tough, tough balance. But recent history has suggested like it's oftentimes over before you think it's over. Or in the case of a team like Denver, right as your window opens, something happens to shut it at least temporarily with the Jamal Murray injury last year. And that's why we did a segment on NBA Today with Malika Andrews a couple weeks ago. And they had us pick which team is under the most pressure in the playoffs, right? Classic TV segment. And I think they <laughs> they expected they expected a lot of us to pick Utah like for obvious reasons or Philadelphia for obvious reasons. And both Kendrick Perkins and I independently, two people who often disagree, picked Phoenix. And the reason we picked Phoenix is exactly what you just said. They got to the finals last year, didn't win. Chris Paul is 37, 36, whatever he is. It feels like it's going to last forever. You never know when it's your best and only chance to win. And that's that's exactly like I think Phoenix, it doesn't feel like they're under pressure because they're just so good and they're such a machine and it still feels fresh and new. Like, oh, the Suns are awesome. That's amazing. They were bad for so long. I think you just never know. This this could be it. This could be their best shot ever, period, in like the Devin Booker era. I don't I hope that's not the case, but you never know. Well, you don't. And they have obviously they've set themselves up home court advantage all the way through. Uh, they had home court against Milwaukee last year. Um, yeah, they're, they're, I, I think it's hard to, unless you've lived it, it's hard to understand 
the absolute fine line between success and, and failure in the playoffs between a bounce of the ball or a tweak of an injury, you know, any little thing can derail you. And so you have to be poised when you have a great team like Phoenix has um, to finish the job. And it's not easy. And as we've seen the Booker injury, like it, it certainly left them vulnerable. Think about it. They were 28 games better than New Orleans. <laughs> New Orleans was 10 games below 500. And people act like New Orleans became like a 50-win team with McCollum. They were like a 500 team. after. Exactly. It's not like they became an elite team. Exactly. So you you have to like, – like that little tweak of a hamstring, like – it can it can reverberate through your whole team history, and that's why I want I love Booker from my experience with the Olympic team. I love him as a player, as a competitor, and you know, hopefully these these coming days get him more back to uh, where he's totally healthy. Because, like you said, I don't know if it's pressure, but just the time closes quickly. It does. And uh, Chris Paul, he's so good, and he's had so many things just not go right at the moment of truth in some of these series that, you know, um, I think their time is now if they're able to be healthy. A couple of quick things on this series and why I like it for Phoenix, again, pending Booker. First of all, the Bridges-Doncic matchup is just going to be incredible. Um He's going to guard Doncic a lot, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And Doncic is going to try and get switches, try and get Paul on switches and Booker on switches. All that's going to be great. Um, some some things that are baked into this for Phoenix, we saw against New Orleans, their weaknesses, if they have any, are rebounding, and they tend to lose like five points a game at the free throw line. Uh, they don't get to the line a lot, and they foul a fair bit. Dallas is not a good offensive rebounding team, and they don't get to the free throw line a lot. So Phoenix's weaknesses are sort of mitigated a bit in this series. And as seems to be the case in every series, you know, Dallas's defense is built around taking away threes and rim. And guess what shots Phoenix takes and makes at like a ridiculous rate? The, the shots that Dallas typically is not okay giving up, but doesn't emphasize taking away. And so you throw that kind of stuff against just the greatness of Doncic and and the fact that they've found some, to use the word you like, synergy without Porzingis. I, I think it's a good series, but I, I just think Phoenix is a more complete two-way team. They're a more sophisticated offensive team, I think, than Utah is in terms of their pick-and-roll attack. If Booker can go at 80% of his usual self, I, I like I, – I haven't made a pick yet, but I'm, I will pick Phoenix to win the series. I – I think they should win the series, but I'm not sure at 80%. I feel good about that. Like, I think he's going to have to be good. And I, I agree with you about Bridges. Bridges, I mean, it wasn't long ago that they were they were criticized for that. And now all this guy has done has become, like, if you would chisel out the perfect complementary player to surround greatness – it would be Bridges. I mean, he's that he's that good. He's that complete. And um, he has the size, the tenacity, the intelligence to compete against Doncic. And I'm interested to see what they do pick and roll. Because like you said, 
Phoenix wants Bridges on Doncic. Doncic and Dallas don't want Bridges on him. What can they do to mitigate that? And and how many pick and rolls will it will it take to get Bridges to ultimately either you know Phoenix playing a drop or switch one, and that's when he can, he can go to work. So it's going to be interesting to watch, and I I'm just hopeful for Phoenix that Booker's as close to hole as he can be. Well, Phoenix is at their best when Bridges is kind of playing some more random basketball and offense. Like when he gets a quick seal in the post in transition or slips a screen on a split action and gets to the rim or just he's always cutting around. When they get a little – the pace of this series is going to be interesting because these are two teams that Phoenix plays a little faster than Dallas, but they're half-court teams. And they both – when they just run like 10% more or just become 10% more opportunistic – they just look so deadly. It's it's going to be interesting to see. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Speaking of Mikhail Bridges, let's transition to Sixers Heat. Because, of course, the Sixers drafted Mikhail Bridges and then traded him. Uh, The Sixers... uh, just destroyed Toronto last night in Toronto. Very impressive win. Harden, look, I've I've pointed out Harden's issues in big games. He was fantastic last night. Picked apart Toronto, 15 assists, made enough of his threes. Uh, the Harden and Bede pick and roll has been unstoppable. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Just a fantastic game from the Sixers. Tobias Harris, unsung hero of that series, has been great, as was Danny Green. The Heat, obviously Jimmy Butler missed a game. Kyle Lowry missed a couple games. The health is is I mean it's it goes without saying is important. Uh, Heat have home court. Sixers were the second best road team in the league behind Phoenix. Had a better road record than home record. Um, the Jimmy Butler Bowl, the Jimmy Butler revenge series, the player that got away for Philadelphia and one of the defining moves of the process era, a move I think gone wrong. Um, this is going to be an interesting series, Coach, because Philly until Game Six last night. I think left a bad taste in everyone's mouth and left people wondering, well, is this just like a paper tiger? Like Harden looks horrible. You can't get by people. Uh, You know, they just pouted their way through game five at home. Their defense was bad. Their bench is unreliable. Maxi's up and down. And the Heat, of course, have been wire to wire, number one in the East. Ferocious team. You never doubt their will. They're never going to come out and just lay an egg effort or spirit-wise. And yet, I look at this matchup, and again, we didn't have too much time to prep. I just did a little prep. I, I I don't hate this matchup for Philadelphia, and I think this is going to be a really good series. What's your initial read? Well, I agree with you. I think uh, Philly 
I think there's been a lot of consternation and a lot of it is surrounding uh, Embiid's hand and Harden's ability to make enough shots. Uh, I don't know really what's gone on like with Harden shooting, but I think the way the game's officiated now has impacted him as much as anybody. Uh, I think Philly's the favorite in this series. I think um, I like it, Coach. That's not, that's that's bold. I guess maybe only, it's not even bold given the health issues, but I don't know. That's that's interesting. Yeah, you have the health issues, but I also think Embiid. Um, like I think you'll see a lot of uh, fronting by uh, Miami, and uh, like you said, they they play. They're as connected uh, as any team. I mean, I don't even know whoever plays for them anymore because. They have like a rotating cast of like nine or ten guys, you know, that somebody's out every game. Singing I, every I, I, I half expect like Norris Cole to come off the bench and give him 16 yeah. good minutes. It's and, and you know, Struess is in, Robinson diminished now. Uh, you know, it's, it's just so I, I just think Philly uh, doesn't have the necessarily the depth, but I think they're starting group is outstanding. I think Niang will be uh, critical in this series as they front the post. Can can his skill level sort of keep the offense moving? And then defensively, you know, who's the Butler matchup uh, for Philly? And, you know, Thibel, because of his vaccination status and his shooting, like, is he now – Back in the mix more, I, I think. I think all of that is is going to be fascinating. But I, I think Philly, uh, I think they'll win. Time it just dawns on me: Toronto to Florida, you're going just polar opposites in terms of weather and COVID availability rules for Matisse Thibel. Um Look, I, I think you hit on the the fronting and stuff. The, the the matchup really pivots on Embiid versus Bam and how. Miami handles the two-man game with Harden and Embiid and Maxi and Embiid. They are the switchiest team in the league along with Boston. Are they really going to dare to switch out of bio off Embiid and put a smaller guy on him? The answer in the brief regular season encounters, because everybody missed every game, Harden, and they, Harden did not play once against Miami with Philadelphia, was yes. And what they did was put Tucker on Maxi just so they could switch that pick and roll and have a bigger body, at least, on Embiid on the back end of that switch instead of a traditional guard. Well, now you throw Harden into the mix, and they have two high-level ball handlers for that pick and roll. And so it raises the question, okay, so who else can I put on Harden? Okay, probably Jimmy Butler is my next stoutest guy. So I can put him on Harden, Tucker on Maxi, or flip-flop those matchups, switch everything front and help. And then you start to trickle down to think, okay, well, then who's on Tobias Harris? That means one of our guards is on Tobias Harris. Do we care? Maybe we don't care. Maybe we do care. I don't know. And and so Philly begins to sort of have those kind of opportunities. And I do think between Hero, Robinson, Struess has been pretty stout defensively, but we'll see. Vincent, um, they are going to have – their Harden's going to have a target every time down the floor in a way that he did not against Toronto until Fred Van Vliet, gimpy Fred Van Vliet, um, unless Fred Van Vliet was in the game. He hit, he hunted Gary Trent a little bit with some success. I, I think 
those are interesting things to think about and and that both Harden and, and Embiid can hurt those switching schemes and other things like that. The other thing is, Coach, I didn't think Philadelphia ran enough Harden and Embiid pick and rolls against Toronto. Um, I understand that switching can sometimes dissuade you from doing that, but when they switch, they would just give the ball to Embiid at the nail and he would just demolish everybody and get to the line. Do you want to hear the numbers on the Harden and Bead pick and roll? They're they're outrageous. Yeah. In the regular season, they ran 38 Harden and Bead pick and rolls per 100 possessions. This is via second spectrum. They scored 1.16 points when one of those two shot out of a pick and roll or passed to somebody who shot right away. That's incredible. And 1.25 points per possession overall, including the whole possession. That's incredible. Against Toronto, that shrunk volume-wise from 38 per 100 possessions to 24 pick and rolls per 100 possessions. But the numbers, 1.25 points directly out of it, 1.425 points per possession. This is what I keep coming back to the Sixers with the Sixers and why I picked the Sixers to beat the Raptors, even though the Raptors were a sexy upset pick. For all the consternation about how Harden doesn't look like Harden and Bede's hand is an issue, obviously. Harden can't get by Malachi Flynn sometimes, this and that. No one has been able to solve that two-man game. The numbers have been outrageous since they paired it together. And I actually didn't think they ran it enough against Toronto. And I think they probably know that it will run it more against Miami. I, I I don't know who... This is the hardest series of the second round for me to pick. I don't know who I'm picking yet because we're just waiting into it. But I think Philly has, has that. And also, the free throw line is going to be critical because Miami was 27th in opponent free throw rate and Philly obviously lives at the free throw line. I think this is a in- more interesting series than meets the eye. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. Well, first of all, I'm always fascinated when Miami plays because I love the way they play. I think... I'll be interested to see if they play more zone, sort of trying to mimic a little bit more what um, they did a couple years ago, but don't seem to do as much uh, now. Uh, but I could see that. And and yet, just getting back to your, your point about the pick and roll game, sometimes simple is best. And if you have something that's hard to guard, now the difference is, Miami does a great job of not allowing people. They'll help off the strong side corner. They don't care. They, they're not allowing that ball to the basket. Like, so you got to have, you got, if you're the other guys like Maxi and, and uh, Harris and Thibault, and, you know, is there, is there some sharpshooter on the bench? Uh, Unleash the Corkmas. It could be. Or, or this is why I think Niang, even though he has his defensive challenges as well, I think his skill level may play well in this in this series. You just hit something that's interesting about the series. Miami's defense, much like Milwaukee, is going to give you a lot of threes. It's paint first. They allowed the most threes in the league as a percentage of shot attempts. Philadelphia is not a high-volume three-point shooting team. I think they're bottom 10 in three-point shooting volume. And that's a... That's something that I think is an edge for Miami because we saw it on a much lower level in Bucks Bulls. And I don't, I know the Bulls were injured, but that was a disastrous series for the Bulls after game two um, and raised serious questions, I think, about the ceiling of this team, some, some of which were already pre existing. But anyway, um, I like the Bulls, that was, you, you can't, you, if a team, if a defense like Milwaukee and Miami is designed 
not to give up threes, but is going to sort of nudge you to take a lot of threes, and they're really good on both ends of the floor, you can't beat those teams unless you take and make a lot of threes. Like the Bulls were drawing dead against Milwaukee because they're taking the exact shots Milwaukee wants them to take and none of the shots that are actually at risk of beating Milwaukee, who's a better team than you anyway, so you got to win the variance three-point shooting game. That's what's interesting here is you just nailed it. I think Philly's got to shoot more threes and they've got to make more threes. And Tobias and Danny Green have been great at that. Maxie's been up and down, but I, I think that's another interesting thing that maybe trends a little bit toward Miami, as does the rebounding. Philly is a sneaky, really bad rebounding team, and Miami's a good rebounding team. This is a this is a delicious, delicious matchup. Before you even throw in the Jimmy Butler subplot, I, I love I love this series. I just knock on wood, Lowry, Butler, and Bead, everyone's healthy-ish and ready to go. Yeah, I mean, think about with Jimmy Butler, how close they were to advancing against oh. Toronto. Oh. How they, they could have won a championship, you know. Um, yeah, it's – but Butler, listen, he, he's not as healthy as he has been in the past. Um, he, met, he misses a ton of regular season games now. He missed a play, you know, game five against Atlanta. Lowry is, you know, out a lot. You know, it's it's hard to know who's going to play or necessarily how they're going to make shots, but you know how they're going to play. And they are going to be tough, and they are going to be tenacious, and there is going to be uh, a steeliness to their effort that's going to give them a great chance. I just think, like, Philly's talent uh, is if, if Harden can make more, I just – they can beat anybody. They really can. They're 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 good. They're really good. And I think Doc Rivers is a uh, a brilliant basketball coach. And uh, I love how he stood up for himself the other day. Well, can you he do it accurately though? Because he said that the Pistons won the championship. They'd won it the we next the year. Media, we in the media are going to say, should a, a coach do something yes. accurately? Can yes. we do it accurately? Can yes, we, we can. Paint the whole picture. No, we don't do it ever. Yes, we do. No, we don't. When did ever? When did anyone say that Doc Rivers was solely responsible for? Everybody knows that Chris Paul was hurt in 2015. Everybody knows the bubble was weird and they completely melted down. People maybe not remember 20 years ago to Magic Pistons, but you know the, he said the Pistons went on to win the championship. Yeah, the next year when they got Rasheed Wallace and they were better. They didn't. No, and, and but and and people had a problem with him pointing out that that roster, other than McGrady, was incredibly flawed. Like, what's wrong stand, with that? Stand up, Pat Garrity. No, Pat Garrity, yeah, he played well in that series. But I'm just saying, <laughs> like, I like that he stood up for himself. I but didn't. Right now, I didn't. Coaches right now are pinatas. And the media feels that they have in every sport, like, that they know most coaches won't defend themselves. I like that he defended himself. It made me, as someone who, what I, on Get Up, I picked Philly to win game six. It made me nervous for them in game six. But then they came out and played great. And by the way, I think he coached a good game. I think one of the things I loved about their game last night was when they started blitzing Siakam in the second half. Because he was really having his way with Philly and keeping Toronto in the game. And they blitzed. And they said, behind the blitz, we're going to leave Scotty Barnes open. We're going to leave... 
whatever other non-shooters on the floor open. We're going to live with it. If Scotty Barnes makes a couple shots, we're taking the ball out of Siakam's hands. We're making him uncomfortable. He's too comfortable just sort of wiggling his way to his spot, whether we're in man with Tobias on him or zone, which they played a lot of. I thought that adjustment changed the game and Philly ran away with it. But I, I got to tell you, Coach, my gut wants to pick Philly in this series. And I just, I think I just, I have, I, 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 can I really trust them? James Harden? I'm going to pick James Harden in a big playoff series. I'm going to pick Philly. You know, people, people say that, but how many times was he in the Western Conference Finals? A few. Yeah. You have to win a lot of big games to get into a conference That's final. That's true. That's fair. Like this idea that James Harden always comes up short, this narrative that is like, can you trust him? I, I'll say this. I don't know about now, like if he's playing well enough today like I, i'm not sure trust is the word but like he, is he playing well enough but the idea that he hasn't been able to lift a team to greater heights i i think is overlooking uh the success that he has had in the playoffs now has he had some perplexing moments in the playoffs that's polite perplexing that's that's what the the one I still can't get by is when I think it was game six against San Antonio at home without Kawhi. There were a number of guys out like Tony Parker. Yeah. They just were, he was from the outside. It appeared he didn't have a great level of energy or interest in that game. So I'm not saying there's not perplexing, but I think if we're going to be factual, James Harden uh, has had, going into this series, has had as much playoff success as anyone not named Kyle Lowry. Maybe Jimmy Butler, if you want to say. What Jimmy Jimmy Butler did in the finals against the Lakers is is more meaningful to me than anything James Harden did in the first round against Oklahoma City or something like that. Well... Okay, well, what about in against Golden State? Look at his numbers in elimination games against oh, I know. Golden State. Yeah, yeah, again. All but I know I, is – Last he night had, he was tremendous. I'm not, he was I, tremendous. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to try to defend Harden. All I know is in game six and game seven that year, they were up double digits at half, and he had all the onus on him. That's true. And that that, that shows he was good. And, and then if you miss, and he was part of this, like a, a lot, I think it was 27 straight threes. If you miss that many, that's part on you, but it's part on the volatility of the three too. Yep. And, and so I, I just think like he has to own when he hasn't been as energetic in, in some of these games that he, he could, but this guy can dominate. Like, I, he hasn't pl- shot it well since he's been in Philly. I think we would be making a mistake that Miami won't make in underestimating his prowess and possibility to be the best player on the floor. Embiid also uh, four of 21 from three against Toronto. I'm interested to see if that turns around. He didn't seem especially eager or comfortable shooting threes in that series. I'm interested to see if that turns around. Give me give me a few minutes on Bucks Celtics, which is... I'm writing a big column on this for the site, so I don't want to belabor it here. But for the second straight year, the Bucks 
it would be cute to say the Bucks are playing maybe the NBA Finals in the second round of the playoffs. Actually, I think that's less the case this year, given how great Phoenix and Golden State in particular are. Um, Middleton, we don't quite know. Um, I've heard that reports that he's already out for the series are, are, are a little premature and that there is still at least a little bit of hope that he could play at some point in the series. But obviously, that's a huge loss for the Bucs. Um, I'll start by saying this and I'll hand it to you. I think even if Middleton were healthy, I would pick the Celtics to win this series. And if Middleton is not healthy, whew, I think the Bucks are really in for an uphill battle. And it's just going to come down to Giannis has to be the best player by a lot for them to beat Boston without Middleton, I think, looking at the series. What do you think? Yeah, I think Boston is uh, a great, great team. I actually thought it was the series against uh, – Brooklyn was much closer than I expected it to be. And I don't mean game-wise. I mean, you know, game to game. And I'm still trying to figure out in my mind how they got the sweep with all these games being so close. Durant not being uh, as efficient as maybe we've come to expect. Injuries and all this. And so that's my only pause. Uh, I think Boston defensively uh, has been great. Now I thought Brooklyn got was much better offensively in that series than I expected them to be. Uh, I'm interested in, you know, can Grayson Allen continue to uh, score who he's going to match up with? I, I, cause I think, um, you know, offensive talent wise, he, he, he really played well. Um, and then to me, the Brooke Lopez, like him coming back and, and being as effective as he has been, I think gives their defense such a boost. But I, I agree with you. I think Boston's a favorite home court health. And uh, and I, I'm, I'm interested to see um, defensively who they put Drew Holiday on. Yeah, I think the easy answer would be Tatum, and that was the case a lot. Um, I could see them also putting him on Smart and putting Wes Matthews on Tatum. The the, the Tatum-Smart two-man game is sneakily devastating. I think it was the most efficient pick-and-roll combination in the entire league when Tatum was the ball handler. And I think you got to build your defense around, we got to be able to switch that. And... The issue with Middleton, I think Middleton's actually a little overrated as a defender. I think he's okay to good, but not great. But without him, they're down a wing defender. And I think to win this series, I think Giannis is going to have to just a little bit, not a lot. I think he's going to have to guard Tatum and Brown a little bit, just a little bit, which he almost never does. They were going to put him on Horford to start games. They'll probably put him on Smart if they start the big Giannis Portis Lopez lineup. Whether it's on switches or as the primary guy, I think he's going to have to dip his toe into those assignments just a little bit. And on the other end, you're right. Boston's got, we're going to see 12 different looks on Giannis because Boston just has so many guys they can throw at him and so many different looks they can throw at him. Um, and, you know, I, I think Milwaukee's other hope is, I, you know, I'm curious to see this, Coach. Boston has been an elite offensive team now, too, for the last 45 games. Their defense has gotten all the attention, justifiably so. They're like a top, I think they're second in offense since January 1st. I think Milwaukee's hope in this series, one of their hopes, is 
Grant Williams, Al Horford, Derek White, Marcus Smart, we're going to dare you to shoot threes. And we don't believe your shooting percentages, in the case of Grant Williams and Horford of late, are sustainable. We do believe your shooting percentages, in the case of Marcus Smart and Derek White, are sustainable. So my question to you is, like, Boston around Tatum and Brown is just a so-so shooting team, but it doesn't seem like it because of how they move the ball and how how those two stars are such great shot makers. Why is – and Grant Williams has shot 40% from three. That's real. Maybe that's a real thing and he's just a great shooter now. I don't know. But why – how is Boston able to be so damn good offensively which what, with, with what I think is just okay shooting around its stars and all we hear about is shooting, shooting, shooting. How are they able to be that good offensively? Well, I think Robert Williams, uh, the lob threat helps them, uh, him being back. I think the, the ability of, like you mentioned, Horford uh, to spread the floor, not get small. See, they're, I think they have very good overall size. So oh. to be able to keep the size on the floor and still have enough shooting with Grant Williams and Horford, uh, Tice can make an occasional three. Um, I think you're right. Derek White's going to have to shoot the ball better. You know what Milwaukee's going to do defensively, and you know what Boston's going to do. I think it's a sign of a great team when you can you know exactly what they're going to do because they are so resolute in what they believe and how they're going to defend. So I think game one, there'll be no surprises as far as schemes, matchups, things like that. Um, and I think it's going to really just come down to, um, and going back to your offensive thing, I think Tatum, his passing ability has always been there, but the consistency of his willingness to draw the second defender and create open shots. I mean, again, I hate comparison because it is truly the thief of joy, but he has right now some Doncic in him as far as that size to be able to see over defense and that willingness to pick people apart. I I think he's been, I think they're the best team left right now. And for many reasons, but uh, a large part is, because he's been so willing to be uh, a defensive stalwart and an offensive igniter. Well, he was the best player against Brooklyn in his series with Kevin Durant. If he's the best player in this series, Boston's going to win. If he's close, if it's Giannis, but it's close, Boston is going to win. By the way, Coach, before I let you go, I have to say I thought thought of you yesterday. Um, there's uh, There's a passage in Chris Herring's book about the Knicks, about you thinking so much about basketball that you drove into your garage door, I think, where you were driving, right? Like you, the garage door was not open and your mind was on the game and you forgot to open it and jo- just drove into it? Yeah, Grand Hill. Like people now hear him as a broadcaster and part owner and head of USA Basketball and all that, right? And I think so many of your your fans would would have no realization that he was so dominant early in his career before injury. And so Grand Hill, when I was coaching the Knicks, was as big a problem as anybody could be to you. He was a point forward and he could run pick and roll with any combination. They Doug Collins did a great job of surrounding him with shooting and they ran a lot of different wrinkles. And so we had just played them and he had uh, diced us up pretty good. And so we were playing him, you know, like one of those quirks in the NBA schedule where you get them 
a week later. And so we, I was coming home from shoot around and, you know, I had a, like the driveway, like in, like a lot of people do in New York where you go uphill and then you turn into your garage. I did that. Unfortunately, I forgot to hit the garage door opener. And so uh, Grand Hill caused me to make uh, a lot, make pay out a lot to uh, the repairman to give us a new garage door. And I'll forever be upset with him about how much he cost me. But the, the good part of that story is it wasn't in vain. At least we won that night. So yesterday afternoon, I went on a grocery run uh, and um, in my head, I've got all this stuff ruminating. I got, you know, three game sixes tonight. How am I going to juggle watching all three of those games? I got a podcast in the morning, so I got to watch them all tonight, start to finish, take my notes. I got to start previewing Sixers heat just in case. And, and I got a column to write and I got NBA today and I get in the car and I back out of the garage. Now, at least the garage door was open. But we have a very tight garage, very tight garage. My Honda Civic is like it's. I've got a foot and a half on each side of the Honda Civic, and I'm just spacing out, and I back out, not paying attention to the fact that the right side of the Honda Civic is about to smash into the side of our garage door frame, and I hear, and I, oh my god, I just pulled a Jeff Van Gundy, and I get out. The right bumper is like hanging off the car. There's antifreeze dripping out of the front. And I'm like, this is so bad, man. I got a lot of problems. No, no, it's true. And I'll, I'll give you another one. I'm not a great driver. So Mike Breen was in Houston to do a game. And so uh, he had brought his wife. So we're going to go get a, something to eat. So he came to my house, Ubered to my house. And I'm chitting, chatting on as I'm backing out of my driveway. Forgot to open up the – or forgot that the gate – I. It was open. Then for some reason, I hit it, hit the button, and it was closing, and then I backed into it. So, you know, my success rate going into garages and out of garages is about equal, which is, you know, it's shaky. And I'll tell you this. There's part of me that is relieved that Philly won because this weekend, big carnival at my daughter's school. Big carnival. It's like the event of the year. It's the first time they've had it in a couple years. Big carnival. I'm volunteering on Saturday to run one of the game stands. And oh, I thought you said you were going to be in the dunk tank or something. No, they like don't that. have the dunk tank anymore. I would be in the dunk tank because I like to taunt children. That's why I volunteered to be on a game stand. I'm going to taunt the children who fail at my game. And then I was like, wait a second. That could be game seven in Philly. That crowd is going to be psychotic. Should I skip the carnival? To no. Go to that game? And, then no. I, and then I thought, what a bad person I am that the thought even entered my brain that I would do that. Wow. And now it's going to be documented on air. That's okay. You, you just took yourself out of the running for dad of the year. And and I hope your daughter is more forgiving than my daughter. See, my daughters would hear that and 12, uh, and 12 years later, bring it up to try to hold something over my head to guilt me into giving them something that they wanted desperately. I hope your daughter is not as like evil as my two daughters. Well, first of all, I would have gone to the carnival either way. I would have had my mind halfway in Philadelphia, but I would have been at the carnival. And second of all, she's already asked me, Daddy, can you let me win whatever? I don't know what game I'm on. I wanted to do the basketball game, but they don't have the unwinnable basketball shot, but they don't have that. And I said, no, you're not. No, no, no. You're just I, I got to be fair. And I'm, I can't wait until children begin failing at my game because I'm going to be merciless. It's going to be great. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. Earn your gifts. Earn your prizes. Don't You're not gifted anything. Coach Jeff Van Gundy, you're the best in the business. Enjoy the t- uh, Drunk Game 6 tonight in Minneapolis. We'll see you down the road. All right, man. Take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.